George Bush doesn't care about black people. are treated like people and people are treated like things. They promote legislation that attacks voting rights, the poor, LGBT citizens, the immigrant community, and civil rights that are lewd, mean-spirited, and fundamentally contrary to what our democracy is supposed to be about. What is bad is not what they are doing what would be bad is for us not to fight back hey ho let's go this is 102.3 whiv lp fm in new orleans we are proudly streaming live on wbok 12:30 a.m we are also live at the ace hotel in the three keys Woo! room give it up y'all that is correct uh, tonight is our uh, movement mondays and it really is a pleasure and honor to be here, as always, with one of my closest friends, certainly one of the smartest political minds in the state of Louisiana, Kenny Francis. Always happy to be here. Excited for another month. Um, always want to remind folks that you can get this episode and all episodes of our show um, by searching Resistance Radio New Orleans on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play. You can also find it on the WHIV website, whivfm.org, where you can also become a member. Yeah, While you're you on the website, you thank can do you. both of those. Download the podcast and become a member. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, before we get started, because if it's an introduction, I guess I think um, for for once we get to say something like positive that's happening in the country, and I want to talk about it for like five seconds. Okay. Um, if somehow you've been living on the rock and you haven't heard yet, um, yesterday it was announced at the Morehouse graduation that billionaire um, 
Robert Smith was going to pay off all of the student loan debt for all 400 Morehead, Morehouse grads to the tune of something like $40 million. And there's never been a award or donation of this amount to a, of HBCU before. And like, we have to take a moment to just sit, like, recognize what an amazing thing that is. And like, but at the same time, it's like, we live in a country where it's like, oh my God, that's the most amazing thing that someone did. Yeah. He spent like 0.02% of his wealth to help other people. Right. And here we are giving him a thousand cookies. So but the, the other thing know. too that is notable is that uh, he made every other commencement speaker this weekend. Oh yeah. He just oh, yeah. totally was like, boom. I think, I think we should definitely have a, a, a rule now. It's like, you don't get to get an honorary de degree unless you like pay for the student loans. That should just be like the entrance fee from now on for commencement speeches. So that said, it really is an honor and pleasure. We have really a tremendous guest uh, uh, today, and uh, uh, we have, uh, and I would like to introduce you. We have uh, today Lieutenant General Honoré, and it really is an honor and pleasure to have you here. And I have a bio that I'm going to, I'm going to read your bio here. Lieutenant General Honoré is a native of Lakeland, Louisiana. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant of infantry and awarded a Bachelor of Science degree in vocational agriculture upon graduation from Southern University and A&M College in 1971. Where were you in well, I'm not even 71? <laughs> not even in utero. He holds a Master's of Arts in Human Resources from Troy State University. Prior to his command of Joint Task Force Katrina, leading the Department of Defense response to Hurricanes Katrina and Rita in Alabama, Mississippi, and Louisiana, General Honoré served in a variety of command and staff positions, which focused on defense support of civil, uh, to civil authorities and homeland defense. General Honoré also played, uh, planned and supported the United States military response to the devastating flooding, which swept Venezuela in 1999 and Mozambique in 2000. As vice director of, for operations, he led the Defense Department's planning and preparation for the anticipated Y2K millennial anomaly. As commander of the NORTHCOM direction, he planned and oversaw the military response to the Space Shuttle Columbia tragedy and the DC sniper shootings. General Honoré retired, <clears throat> you ready for this? General Honoré retired on February 29, 2008, which if I count correctly, only happens every four years. Following, and I'm going to quote him, following 37 years, three months, and three days of active service with the United States Army. But who's really counting, right? Russell uh, Honore leads, now leads the Green Army, a network of civic community and environmental groups and concerned citizens from across Louisiana fighting and affecting meaningful social, political, and environmental change to our state. Lieutenant General Honore became involved in environmental issues when residents from Bayou Corn frustrated by the lack of action in the wake of a devastating sinkhole, requested assistance. General Honoré has now recognized, uh, the, uh, recognized the barrage of pollution, climate, infrastructure, and other issues facing Louisianians from the levy board lawsuit to clean water, and now he's decided that something needs to change. And with that introduction, y'all, please welcome General Honoré. Thank you so very much for being here, and thank you for appearing on Resistance Radio. Thanks for joining us. Um, I would also like to add that the general has a hell of a sense of humor, because Mark Allen told me a story that today, earlier, he called you to check in to be like, hey, is everything on track for the day? And you're like, what do you, who's Mark Allen? I, I'm not even coming to New Orleans today. And he had like a momentary freak out, which I appreciate you doing, because like, what you don't know that I know is that leaving things for this man to plan 
I like would not have been surprised if he had forgotten to like tell you and we were coming here. And so I appreciate you playing that playing that joke on him. So we wanted to give you a couple minutes to go ahead and introduce yourself or, or tell us a bit about what you would like uh, the listening audience to, to know about you. Well, uh, since I retired from the Army, I continue to work. I do motivational speaking around leadership, uh, creating a culture of preparedness, and about responding to uh, and being more resilient as uh, we get the effects of uh, climate change and the effects of pollution. Uh, right here in Louisiana, we're in a, on the front leading edge of the effects of rising sea level. We're on the front edge of uh, pollution. And the fact that we've got over 100 chemical plants between here, petrochemical plants between here and Baton Rouge, does not go unnoticed. Uh, we have some of the highest levels of uh, death from cancer in St. John's and St. James Parish. Uh, and on a weekly basis, we get requests from people who are fighting the government to try and get the government to protect them as opposed to protecting industry. And that's not a fair fight. When industry multinationals can come in and elect who they want to get elected, they come in and they, they put their brand on things like the Jazz Fest. They put their brand on uh, Victory Square at Superdome, which is a state-owned facility. They give a few bucks here and give a few bucks there. And all of a sudden, I'm helping people fight their own government to get the government to enforce the Clean Air and Clean Water Act. What's wrong with that picture? And but it speaks to the challenge and the opportunity we have uh, in Louisiana. Uh, the challenge is, if we don't act, then who will? The opportunity is, because we have so much pollution, we can create the technology to eliminate that pollution. But we've got to be motivated to do that. And right now, as a people, we have become conditioned to the fact that in Jefferson Parish, you're going to be smelling stuff that smells like rotten eggs. Been going on for decades. That the people in Plagma Parish, where the coal train passed through, have coal dust on their cars. That the people in Lutcha, because of Noranda plant, that it emanates red dust with mercury in it, it's going to get on the cars and on the plants. We have begun conditioned to accept that. There's a 6,000 square mile dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico. We've come to accept the fact that between here and Baton Rouge is most, one of the most dangerous places in the world because those 100 plants are protected by a levee that is over 70 years old in many cases. And any break in that levee would change the whole geo-economic conditions of this state. Because if the levee breaks, 
is going to take a lot of plants with it that produce a lot of pollution. We've come conditioned to a plant like Mosaic Uncle Sam has a 200-foot pile of gypsum with radioactive material in it and a billion gallons of water in the middle. We'll begin to accept that as a risk. And that's my concern in Louisiana. That's why we give voice to people like St. John, St. James, Plaquemine, Bayou Corn, Bell River, uh, Mossville, Colfax, and Alexandria, because they don't have a voice because their politicians don't protect them. So I did not expect to have such a fight with the government to protect the people as we have faced with the Green Army. And I must give credit to the other organizations that have been operating way before the Green Army, the Sierra Club, the Louisiana Environmental Action Work, the Lean, uh, and the Bucket Brigade to mention a few that we collaborate with on a daily basis fighting pollution. I, I got asked once by Al Gore about the significance of climate change. I said, climate change is not a politically accepted word where I come from. But I can go to Homa. If I talk about pollution, I, I've got a voice. People will talk. Because they'll talk about a place that they used to fish, they can't fish anymore. So I hope we get to a point of discussion on how we depoliticize the word climate change and get people to understand that when you're smelling rotten eggs four or five hours a day, what you smell it is hydrogen sulfide. That your water shouldn't smell. Okay? And your water shouldn't be colored. Or it shouldn't have lead in it, like... Uh, or lead in <laughs> it. Or lead. Like in, uh, I, I also, before we keep going, because I have questions, is I got to say, that is the best stump speech I've heard of 2019. Oh, look at that. Like, that, is, that is the best stump speech. <laughs> stump Specifically speech. for someone who's like been doing this work in Louisiana. Like it's not often that you hear someone with the type of profile that you have in Louisiana talking about these things. Because you're absolutely right. You're talking about in the way that our state and like largely our country has bowed down to the corporations that continue to make us sicker and poorer. Meanwhile, taking all of the capital out of our, our systems. You, you couldn't be more spot on on that. And while we're let's just real quickly also just let you guys know that uh, General Honoré has two books uh, as well. Leadership is uh, in the new normal, a short course, as well as and I love the title on this Don't one. Get Don't get stuck on stupid. <laughs> so I have a feeling we're going to be talking about some of that stuff uh, today. So go ahead. All right. So the Green Army is a coalition of multiple state environmental agencies that have an agenda that ultimately, hopefully, are transformed into some legislative action. So I'm going to ask you, please, to describe the Green Army and the work that you do with a personal hero of mine, which is Mr. John Barry. And that's largely because, uh, as an infectious diseases doctor, uh, Mr. Barry wrote the definitive text on the influenza outbreak, which was called uh, the Great Influenza. But, of course, he's obviously well known uh, for the rising tide. And then I think also... Uh, the uh, the lawsuit against the levy board uh, as mm -hmm. well. So if you could explain the Green Army and then help us understand what the agenda was for the legislative session for the year and how well you're doing with some of the bills. Well, I'll start off with like, we're getting beat up. I'm shocked. <laughs> but uh, we are against a multi-billion dollar operations that's run by Louisiana uh, Industries and Business Lobby, Louisiana Chemical Association, 
and the Mid-Continental Oil, which represent the big oil companies, and Louisiana Oil and Gas represent the smaller oil and gas companies, and Louisiana Chemical Association. They bring in tons of money. Matter of fact, we are proud with the Green Army because we've created so many good lobbyist jobs, well-paying jobs. <laughs> Hell, we ought to get a tax break. The number of good jobs we've created in Louisiana. Uh, that being said, when we created the Green Army right after Bayou Corn, after meeting over at Xavier University, where many of the environmental groups came together for uh, like a big powwow, uh, somebody said, General, you ought to do something to bring us together. Because everybody operate in their community. They operate where they plant it. And from then, we've, we've worked on several projects. We've operationalized it. I got a lot of guidance from people. Well, you're going to need a staff. You're going to need to raise 4 or $5 million a year to run that staff. You're going to need a building. You're going to need a PR person. You're going to need a lawyer. You're going to need a scientist. And I said, well, for me to feed that animal, uh, where am I going to get all this money from? That's a conventional army. I said, if we do the Green Army the right way, why don't we run a guerrilla army? Our headquarters sit on, the, on our iPhone. We operate through social media. Uh, we collaborate where the problems are. And we seek solutions locally by helping local communities say no uh, to permits that are coming up, that say no to expansion of plants, that hold the government accountable like up until two years ago, the cancer registry that operates here in the state under LSU, pretty prominent sounding organization. But they were not releasing the cancer data at the local level where we could read it. It took a resolution from a representative, Katrina Jackson, whose name is pretty famous in, in Louisiana today, to put a resolution in and require them to release that data at census tract. Well, guess what we found out now? Yeah, I'm sure St. James. St. James and St. John. The year before, those same cancer... Uh, registered people uh, told us there's no problem here in St. John Parish. Well, when you looked at it at the macro level, there's no problem. But when you break it down to that particular community, it is a problem. Twice, three times the exposure. So that is the type of work we've had to do to fight through the legislature. We couldn't get a bill through, but that resolution had the impact of releasing that information to the people. Well, why do they collect that information? The reason they collect it is so the people will know the impact of where they live. But they would not release that information because they too were influenced politically by the big corporations and the lobbyists who give grants to the institutions here. So it was a shame to have to fight that but that's why we stay a guerrilla army, because we don't have time to feed the monster. Uh, the big office, you know, the uh, rental car to ride around in, then you got to have a driver, you got to have security. And we operate as, secure, as a guerrilla army. 
We find people in trouble. We help them organize. We have them, have them get a Facebook page. You see the concerned citizens of St. John. You see the concerned citizens of Louisiana. You see them in St. Tammany Parish. You see them in Colfax. All over Facebook, which is one of our big platforms we operate on, and some of them on Twitter. You see the concerned citizens of Jefferson Parish. A big wellspring of support there because of what was going on there with the dump. Uh, the Green Army also is multi-political. Uh, on our board, we've got Tea Party members. We've got Republicans, and we've got regular old Democrats. <laughs> and you got people like myself that nothing. I would love to hear your, your definition on of our a regular board. old Democrat. I would love <laughs> On our board. And you know what? What everybody like is clean air. Yeah, you're right. Everybody <laughs> like the fish to be safe. Clean water. And clean water. Yeah. And that's what we come together on common ground. And what's our big problems here? The lead in the water caused behavioral problems on children. And we want to know why we have so much children get in trouble. Because we never cleaned up the lead in the city. We do things in the city like build a school on top of a dump. We've done that multiple times in New Orleans. Or community. Yeah. And, and or a community that is now a Superfund site. Or, or build a... That's a, why I wrote that book, Don't Get Stuck on Stupid. We keep doing the same kind of things over and over. And they're going to create good jobs, and it's going to be a new school. It's paid for by the federal government. we got to do this. And lo and behold, you know the rest of the story. So that's how we organize the Green Army as a grill army. we got about $2,400 in the bank. And I generally run it out of my retirement fund and what I generate in my company. And every now and then we might have somebody do something for us. And we get a lot of help from the, what you might say, the battalions out there, the local organizations, because they take the lead. And we come in with the support and try to give a voice to what they're saying and get maybe five or 6,000 of our followers to lean in on something on, on Facebook and about 16,000 to lean in on Twitter, and we can bring in the big organizations and collaborate with, like, the Guardian and uh, Society of Environmental Journalists, and they'll pile in on something with us and, and help us give voice to a problem. I apologize for the long answer, but I no, hope that no, leads no, into please. where we're going. No, no, and actually WHIV functions very much like that uh, yeah. as well. It's a very lean organization, mm -hmm. uh, but we have a lot of folks that really kind of help kind of uh, yeah. help us do what we need to do. But in particular, what I was thinking about, I know that there was some clean water legislative uh, actions that you were looking for that was part of the agenda. Maybe you could, we're in the legislative session right now, and so kind of give us a real-time view of, of what's happening. And I also wanted to make comment that you have $2,400 sitting in the bank where these multinational organizations have millions of dollars with untold numbers of lobbyists. And, of course, it's an incredibly unfair fight. And the, the, the scales are tipped far toward the direction of the multinational. And I'm going to get – I have questions regarding mm -hmm. some of the comments that you've made before in the past I wanted you mm -hmm. to comment on about lobbyists. But uh, if you could just talk to us about some of the legislative uh, – so what was yeah. on your agenda? We that, started off with eight bills. Is it 80? Uh, Eight. Oh, eight. Uh, three of them uh, are pretty much still alive. Uh, and we've got a resolution, uh, a couple of resolutions we're working on. And sometimes the resolutions can have uh, an impact equal to a bill. 
if it's a study res resolution. An example, we just had the audit of the Baton Rouge water system, the Southern Hill Aquifer, which covered five parishes. That audit came out two weeks ago. It was put in by one of our friends, representative in Baton Rouge by the name of Marcel, last year. We got the audit started, now the report comes out. Now we're standing there across the table from Exxon and Georgia Pacific and Intergy and say, you're lying, lying. We told you to stop using aquifer water and use river water. But that report clearly showed that they've been cheating. And there's no reason for them to use aquifer water because it's set right next to the Mississippi River. They said, well, it's going to cost us money. Well, wait a minute. Four miles on the road, Dow used river water. Shell used river water. Motiva used river water. I can go on and on. Noranda used river water. What make you so special, Exxon, $44 billion a year company? That's it. Why you yeah. can't use river water? But their attitude is, hell, y'all want water today. What you going to want tomorrow? Clean air? Maybe. Yes. <laughs> Maybe. It's Maybe. about power. Yeah. And their and their usage, just like you know, like you yes, said, greasing yes. the wheels, getting people elected that will just follow the agenda. They come in and say, "Here's your agenda. Here's what you're going to pass." Mm -hmm. So we had another an aquifer bill this year. We got through to uh, whether we were call the Southern Hill Aquifer Area Concern. That bill's still alive. We had a bill on testing playgrounds. That is going to be turned into a resolution. Hopefully, it'll be filed in the next couple days. And uh, we had a. Uh, a resolution on the Washita River. No, don't worry about the Washita. Nobody knows about it. It's just a river come out of Arkansas. It comes right in the middle of our state, goes into Monroe, and is the feedstock of life in central Louisiana. It goes right through the Black Belt. Most of the Washita River is in the middle of the poorest places in the state of Louisiana. There's, you talk about poor people. You still got people up there using outhouses. And they fish for sustainment. They go out. This is a part of their diet. They fish in the Washita. If you look at the recent report issued by the Department of Health and by the LDEQ, you see a bunch of the Washita River is restricted from fishing. And you say, why? I'm glad you asked that question. Because the Washita comes out of Arkansas, El Dorado, Arkansas. There's a, um, a, a, a documentary issue last year called Company Town. You ought to take the time and watch it. Uh, we were involved with that through Louisiana Environmental Action Network. Now, I use that word loosely because that, they've been working on this for years. What we've been challenging is the water comes out of Arkansas and it's polluting the Washita. Mm -hmm. And we asked for a resolution to have the state study it. Because sometimes you get a study done when you can't get a bill through. Because if you come up with a bill, every one of those companies up there are going to fight it. So they tell the senators and the uh, representatives to kill that. We, we don't want no study into that Washita. I know nothing to bring up trouble, give our businesses trouble. Well, I like your, nat, your corporate corporation voice. It's a, it's a good one. <laughs> well, so it, inside Arkansas, you got to get this piece now. There is a Georgia Pacific plant there that has been fined for polluting that town, across at Arkansas. North of that plant, 
The water is blue. They're actually doing kayaking. South of that plant, two miles away, coming to Louisiana, the water is black. And the trail has nothing from to do pollution. with the plant at all. No, no recorded. That plant no. is owned by the Koch brothers. Shocked. Ooh, you could do boo. Yeah. There we go. It's, like, it's the same, like you said, it's the same old story over and over and over again. With usually the same players. A lot of the same players, the multinationals. Yet I understand this is the kind of a plantation mentality. Remember when the folks who run the plant, it's good for the economy. The fact that you people slaves, it's good for the economy. We're going to all be better. We're building the countries. Is it good for you? Yeah. Well, multinationals now, they come in and say, we're going to create jobs. This is good for y'all. Look how good we're doing. We're the third largest energy producer in this poorest state. Go figure that out. How could it be? The difference today with the multinational and the plantation owner is the plantation owner used to live on the damn plantation. The multinationals live on St. Charles and the riverfront. They're part of the carnival class in New Orleans. They, know, they don't live down there where those plants are. You see them BMWs and black cars coming off the river every day and SUVs coming back to New Orleans. They don't live in them parishes. They run the plants there. And normally the CEO of them are here for about two years. Exxon and Baton Rouge change their CEO out every two years. They come in with a mission. Drive down costs, drill up profit. Don't create any, make sure the environmental don't bother us. That's the objective. I'm going to interrupt your, your question stream here for a second. I want to back up a little bit here um, because something I've been dying to ask you is how does a decorated decades-long general become the climate crusader that you are now? Like, how, how did that happen? Because you're one of a kind. You don't see someone with your stature and your position. I'm sure a lot of your colleagues when you started this were pretty – probably pretty against it. Um, you don't see army guys, particularly generals, coming out and having this sort of fight. Um, how, did you, how, how did you get into this? Well, the military has been saying for decades now that the effects of climate change is going to be a national security, one of the top national security. When the entire East Coast Navy is going to have to move, okay, many of our ports that we depend on on trade and that we protect with that Navy are going to have to move. Think about the effects of climate change without I relate to pollution. Uh, and I've been in many discussions with people, and they want me to talk about climate change. I talk about pollution. Because pollution is what caused climate change. Now, we're all a part of that. We're into these damn plastics. We went back, you know what, on plastics. Well, there's good. When I came into Katrina, we saved a lot of lives because we were able to bring water in in plastic bottles and hand them out to people. Because you can get the water here, but you don't wait to distribute it. Mm -hmm. So there's good in there. The back of my iPhone is made out of some plastic with DNA out of Louisiana. I drove here in a car that used gas. You with me? Much of that car is made out of plastic. DNA right here in Louisiana. But we have to balance the things we need, and then everything has to be a part of a life cycle. Mm -hmm. Every plastic bottle, we have to have a plan to reuse it or 
repurpose it. And we're not there. We're dumping globally tons of plastic in the ocean. Even our ships at sea are literally dumping. The state of New York still dump trash in the ocean. This is a, should be a national security concern. The loss of the wetlands in Louisiana should be a national security. The port of New Orleans, when Katrina hit, was the exported 43% of Americans' exports went through that port. 43%. And it's still in the high, in the, in the low 40s. As far that's key to the economy. Yeah. As far as every ten dollars come through Louisiana, fifty percent of all the barges in America are in Louisiana on any given day. We got one hundred seventy-five thousand miles of pipeline. We don't make any money on the stuff flow through the pipeline because of law. We created this law to make sure everybody get a good opportunity to run the economy. It's capitalism, so you can run gas from Louisiana to Florida. And the people in Louisiana don't make one penny off of it. But if you go to Disneyland, you got to pay $10 worth of tax to get into Disneyland. But they get gas from us. Same thing as Georgia. State of California, PG&E. They got 22 million customers. Guess where their gas come from? Tamara Parish, Louisiana. It's owned by a Japanese company, Sempra. Where the president just went down there last week and built another plant. You think Cameron Parish is doing well economically? Nope. They got good schools, you think? Nope. They got good roads? They got good health care? This is a crying damn shame. We like Cuba in 1957. A lot of wealth, it's all leaving. And the political class and the carnival class in New Orleans running. That's the way it operates. I think we are blessed to have these natural resources, but what has continued since Reconstruction, this abuse of the people in power, where 20% of the people own 80% of the land, has created a divide that's still present in Louisiana today, and has manifested itself in crime. You go out here and find these kids that are involved in crime. They can't read. How many uh, masters graduate or college graduates you find shooting people up? It happens occasionally. You go to Angola, the majority of people that can't read the fourth grade level unless they've been in there for 30 years and they got some of them got PhDs, but they didn't go in there learning how to read. And we still don't have pre-K funded in all these parish. Preach. What the hell is that all about? The saints get more money than the city from the taxes in the, in the city of New Orleans. That's a crying damn shame. Now, that don't have much to do with pollution, but it speaks to what has happened on the environmental side, the clean air, clean water, to what's happened on the social justice side. Our, our priorities uh, are all wrong, and in fact, I have a quote here that you said that the wealth of the oil and gas has hijacked our democracy in Louisiana. Yeah. And I assume that that's what you mean by that. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, when they drill a well, because of two Louisiana legislatures, you go research this, uh, Congress passed a law, they don't have to pay royalties 
until the cost of the well is paid off. Now, how many other industries get a break like that? Yeah. So all that hoo-bah that BP was doing out there, oh, we're losing so much money, and Obama just gave him a ride. Took the foot off the gas and gave him a ride. Help the British out. Keep the Queen happy. Because their retirement fund was tied up in BP. And what we ended up, we charged them $4 when we should have charged them $17 a barrel. We get about $8 billion, we should have gotten close to $20 billion. But what's the difference that make? That's got to be divided among the Gulf Coast states. Yeah. And somehow the people in Florida got more money than Louisiana. Now go figure that out. But Florida got 22 million votes. So they got their money up front because they couldn't occupy the condos. We've got 32,000 people in Louisiana that have not gotten health care from BP. And they're dying every day. And we got a judge here in New Orleans, the Fifth Circuit Court, right here in New Orleans, have not scheduled court dates for those people. What's his name? Do you know? Anybody? It'll come to him in a minute. No, I'm sorry. I did, yeah. Because we like to name names on WHIV. Yeah, it'll come to me. Okay. Uh, we went to his office and did a, uh, a, a uh, to take him some signatures. But he's right there in the Fifth Circuit Court. But he's holding that case up because it's a trick between how the federal government does this. They assign a group of lawyers, a council of lawyers. The council of lawyers have gotten more money than the victims of the BP oil spill. Now, how in the hell could that happen? Because they said, hey, if you go to court, we're going to give you some money. So they gave everybody about $3,500, you know, if you decide not Sorry to go to court. Sorry for cancer. Well, they got about a half a billion dollars yeah. for those 4,000 people yeah. who settled. But you got another 30,000 out there that didn't settle. And the way they set this up, this council of lawyers, and they walk in the street. They got the reservations at the finest hotels right here in New Orleans. And they decide when they get, some of them got four and 500, 600 clients that they're supposed to take to court and try to get help. Problem is some of the people are dying. Yeah. We've created a, a group to help the BP all spill survivors uh, and had a few events in town. <coughs> but they still don't have a court date. The question is, where are the senators? Where are the congressmen? Where is the governor? Where is the state attorney general? Well, they're all bought off. Like you said, they've been hi the, the lobbyists have hijacked. They've hijacked it. I mean, BP guy, what he said. And he didn't go to jail. 11 men dead in Louisiana. He walks on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and says he wanted life back. And the following week, they let him go back to England. With me? How the hell could that be? But let me tell you how this backward state works. I led the bicentennial, free job. All I do is free work in Louisiana. So we came out, we had about a million and a half dollars left, a million dollars left. We passed it on to another organization. One of my requirements at being on the bicentennial as a volunteer, 
I had to release my financial statement. Well, Honoré makes his money, and I had to make sure I had no conflicts with this volunteer job. So the third year, they sent me and said, hey, we need another financial statement. I said, the thing's been over with a year. It's a waste of time. A few months later, guess what happened? A Louisiana state police pulled in my subdivision in the middle of the damn day, walk up to my house. I'm not there, thank God, and give my wife a letter to tell me I got 36 hours to put that financial statement in or they could arrest me. What the hell? You with me? How could that be? But yet, the congressional delegations, they get wined and dined by the industry. They take their campaign bonds and they buy LSU tickets. They buy Saints tickets with the congressional delegation money. Where do they get that money from? They get it from donors in the big corporations. But the ethics board, they put the hammer on me. But these guys, you've seen the stories over and over again. How many football tickets they buying every year with the campaign money? And they say, well, I do that for my constituents. You got to say how we do that. We do that for our people. That's absolutely crazy. But I say this because this is the bad side of a democracy. It was built on trust. It's built on popular vote. We can vote who we want in office. So it's our own damn fault. Who we got? Because we don't go vote. All the young people talking shit, but they ain't voting. You with me? They're not voting. Matter of fact, the last time we had an election, they stayed home because they didn't like one, the senator one of her position. So we're going to show her. <laughs> we're going to show her. Well, we showed her, and we lost a damn senator that had some power. And look what we got now. Oh, we showed her. I'm going to tell you, that does not work. The democracy shouldn't be working like this because we don't expose these issues and people don't go vote. We got to fix that if we're going to meet the potential that this state has. We should be one of the most well-resourced states in America. But because of old rules and policies, we're not. So you, you, you bring up Senator Andrew, and I was actually one of those people who was took great offense <laughs> that Senator Landrieu uh, had the same position as Dr. Cassidy that he had in the House. Dr. Cassidy in the House. Do we call him? I, I hate giving him that. Don't call no, him doctor. I, I, He's I, not really I, a doctor. He is a doctor. He, you can't deny. He, worked, he worked for LSU. You cannot much. deny as much science as he denies and be a doctor. So Bill Cassidy in the House proposed, and I wanted to shift the conversation over to Bayou Bridge Pipeline. Mm -hmm. So he actually proposed a, uh, a bill that allowed for energy transfer partners to come through Louisiana. Right. And then, of course, the bill that you were talking about that Senator Landrieu proposed was almost identical. And so when that election came up, I didn't know who to vote for. The Republican who wanted to have a, a, a pipeline through energy transfer partners to be placed in Louisiana or the Democrat who also wanted the same proposal. So this leads into the question I wanted to ask you. 
that pipelines in Louisiana essentially exist as an entity, as you said, with no laws, no fines, or regulations to motivate the companies to prevent spills. You said in the past that pipelines are replaced when they break. Louisiana's had 144 pipeline breaks in 2016, which works out to be about 2.7 pipelines failure per week. And the Bayou Bridge Pipeline uh, uh, is also uh, run by Energy Transfer Partners, which the last time I checked, they have a good track record, Energy Transfer Partners. Can you talk to us or comment about that? Well, the records show, I mean, they're, uh, they're probably in the bottom 50% because they got, number one, they've got a lot of exposure, and number two, they use a lot of subcontractors, and it's kind of a, a loose network of people doing this work. And we tried to get them to take some of the pipeline and put it underneath water systems that would lessen the exposure if there was a break. It would be underground as opposed to being released in bayous. Um, and the play came in with a heavy hand. They came in with some of the residue leadership they had from uh, up in Dakotas. And they came in, they hired state uniform officers. Uh, after the first couple of weeks, I got reports that people who worked for the Department of Prisons were out in a state-owned car. with their state badges, their state-issued pistols, and their state-issued uniform taking care of these damn protesters. Wow. And many of them, while they're trained to deal with prison guards, had none of the finesse to deal with First Amendment protesters. So we raised a lot of heck over that in calling out to the Capitol in dealing with the uh, governor's office, how is this going to look? We're a destination city. We're a destination state. <clears throat> Our tourism industry generate, according to state budget, as much money as oil and gas. I know it looks strange, and it shouldn't be that way, but that's what it is. How's it going to look? We've got police officers. Which in the case that they were doing, they were taking mostly young women, throwing them on the ground, tying them up with ropes, <coughs> taking their airboats and pushing their kayaks in. What are you doing? <coughs> so we were able to get the guards off. And a lot of people were arrested. <coughs> they had good legal representation but we're still up against um, this law that was passed last year. That allowed people to get arrested if you stand on a pipeline. Yeah. Right, the hyper-criminalization. Um, Why do we do that? That's an ALEC law. We got all these lawyers that live in this state. We got all these people like us. How many marches we had to say no to that law? None. We fought it in the legislature like, you know what, a handful of people. 
we had a couple of professors. They spoke up and gave us some language we could use. But there wasn't a groundswell of people said, with 175,000 miles of pipeline, you can't go, you can't swing a dead cat in Louisiana without being on a pipeline. You'd be surprised some of the places that you go in this town that there are pipelines underneath it. And they passed that law. And, and to a large degree, it's disturbing to see how government protects corporations rather than government protecting the people. And, and that's essentially what those laws are doing. And to be clear, ALEC is the American Legislative Exchange Council that you mentioned. And I will say, General, that on WHIV, we, we spoke regularly about how unfair uh, that, that law is. And on a personal note, I also want to say that I have, uh, in my professional setting as a physician, have taken care of a lot of the injuries that occurred uh, in the arrest that you have talked about. Well, this um, dumb law was made. You got 22,000 students three miles this way. You got 10,000 students 10 miles that way. Where the hell are they at? You think we would have had the Voters' Rights Act today if people didn't get out and said, no, we're going to have... Where are they? I think I, 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 I very much... Where are they? I think you have a very You know valid, what they tell me? I think you have I got to pay my point. student loan. I think you have a very valid point. I think that part of the, the strategy here that we see in all sorts of these types of legislation is essentially creating fatigue, where it's just like consistent That's a good over point. and over. Yes. In fact, yes. we're seeing it happening right now with reproductive rights, where Alec is taking the same law, and they're putting it here and here and here, and in Florida, and in Texas, and Alabama, and Tennessee, and Louisiana. And it's just like, it feels, it, it's every... The worst that this gets, which is why, like, Mark Allen and I always have this argument about how, like, I would forever say that, like, Citizens United and that decision was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to our democracy. Right. Because what you have is you have the Koch brothers who can just hand out a million dollars here, a million dollars yeah. here, a million dollars there, which to them is like me giving you five bucks. Yeah. And they all of a sudden you have this awful legislation popping up all across the country. Yeah. And what you're talking about is, like, groups of people having to mobilize hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over and over and over again to have these fights everywhere. Meanwhile, three rich white dudes with a checkbook could get dozens of bills through. Like that, that that's like the central problem right. right there. Like, I mean, and to bring this like home for everyone, because like we've been talking largely about like outside Louisiana, you think about like, think about what's happening in our own city. We have, we're about to build a, uh, a power plant that's going to cost over $200 million that we don't need that doesn't solve the problems that it's, gonna, it's supposed to solve, that's going to create environmental problems, and we didn't do anything about that. And the problem was, like, oh, they spent too much money already, so we're going to be, we're going we're to let it happen. And, like, the people of the city voted for a council that was supposed to protect against that. That's their job. They're, one of their main jobs is to regulate energy, and they don't regulate them. And it's, and it's like, how many meetings are people going to show up? And even after people showed up, Dozens and dozens of do people organized all the people on Mishu to come out, and then they and then they astroturfed it, and they had actors, and still nothing was done. So I think that I think that you have a very valid point, and I think engagement is like such a huge part of it. But when the entire system is set up in a way to make your engagement not matter, I can see how people get disillusioned. Because think about all the people that fought the energy power plant through all the ways they're supposed to, and then paid actors came in, influenced the vote that was exposed by more advocates. And then still nothing was done with that. And here we are still going to build this, like, over $200 million, this power plant that we don't need or want. 
And all of this action has happened for like what five years? People have been fighting that. And then also tell the general we've had the city council every single. We're trying to get every single city council member on our radio program to comment on yeah. that, and they. Blah, 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 blah. There's no good answer for them because and here's I think and, that and they to the know. point you've been made all along. Here's the reality: you're not going to get a city council seat if Entergy's your, your enemy, right? At the end of the day, like Entergy's name is slapped on everything. It's slapped on everything from schools to the Superdome to the Smoothie King Center, the Entergy Power Shot. Every time we make a three pointer, like it's like it's we're a company town, just like that town you're talking about in Arkansas. And that's the thing that nobody wants to talk about is that we're not we're not going to do anything to the one Fortune 500 company we have in the city, and that's essentially the problem is that they're able to just buy our democracy. Don't disagree with that, but it speaks to the fact that we're having this conversation because my challenge is, you know, people want me to talk about global warming. I say it's hard to talk about global warming when you're standing in oil. Here in Louisiana. We've allowed things to happen to us because our attention span is very short. So we got to get back to the party. So true. You know, so where's the crawfish ball? When did Mardi Gras come in? Where's the festival we got next weekend? And I know a lot of shaking and moving in this town. Young people are transit. They come here to go to school and they leave. But there come a point in time that. We can't over, keep overstating the obvious. I'm not sure if the school system's working. But we got a lot of money came in here. We got a governor that passed this charter system that fired over 5,000 teachers, brought a bunch of people in to teach that were not teachers. I'm not sure the system's working. We went to a school with President Bush on the 10th year anniversary of the commemoration of Katrina. And they just sat there and lied to President Bush. They said how good they were doing, 98% graduation rate. They didn't tell him about what the expulsion rate was and that they get to select what students come in. And it's like, who's representing the people in New Orleans? Because you got a school board, but the school board will tell the charters what to do. They've got their own board. Who's holding people accountable? Uh, I think the key to in the poverty, in the the disparity in in uh, income is education. But I don't see how the education system in Louisiana is going to provide the outcomes we need. To your point, I, I work in the education system in, in the city. And to your point, um, simple stats here that folks may not know. Um, Louisiana ranks 49th in funding in education. Typically, we spend around 10,000 per child for general education and per student funding. The national standard sort of uh, average for that is about 15,000. States like Massachusetts that are typically in the top three in education. They, uh, well, New York has actually spent around 22 this year. Massachusetts about 25. So you look at the difference between 10,000 per child to 25,000 per child, and then it's but it's no it's no mistake that we're 49th that in funding. Part of that 10,000. Because we wanted to take care of our teachers and didn't put them in Social Security, a part of that 10000 yeah, pay for yeah. teacher retirement. Yeah. Y'all know that, right? Yeah. It's not 10000 per child. It's 10000 minus about 2800 per child. Yeah. 
that pay for people that were teachers that are retired now because over the years this then I thought they were smarter than everybody else. Health care, public health care of any type on Social Security. So money that's generated for children, 10,000, one of the lowest numbers in the country, minus about 2,800 that don't go to children, it goes to retired teachers. I mean, make, make we, that we could also just like pay the teachers more so that they, they wouldn't need that. We could just pay them the that could happen to a, a level that's like deserving. But of, like, you've got a, a grandfather system here that's got to be fixed. Absolutely. As we were starting to wrap up, I have, I have one more question for you that I think would be a great question to close. The hour goes by quickly, I know. I, I yeah. also, yeah, <laughs> even Kenny's surprised. Uh, you, you mentioned a second ago that the system's not working, but I would push back a little bit and say that the system is working for the multinational corporations and for the establishment, for the media, for politicians, and for the rich. You said, and I want to quote um, you here, that uh, people a century from now will be cursing us. Right. And as we wrap up here, can you help us understand what you meant by that? They will want to know why we allowed a 6,000-mile, square-mile dead zone in the Gulf. We know it's there. We know very little about it. We allowed the Taylor Well to blow oil for over a decade. And just in the last year, we attempted to do something because the company said, it's an act of God. Okay? We've allowed, although the abatement should have happened years ago, for water fountains in public schools to have lead residue in them. Happening in plain daylight. If children don't learn to read at fourth grade level by 10 years old, I've got it right there in that book, Leadership in the New Normal, they have over a 40% chance to have an interaction with law enforcement by the time they're 14. I didn't make that data up. It comes from the Children's Defense Fund. Yet we still don't have pre-K universally funded. If you don't take care of that problem, you're just feeding into the criminal justice system. It's called a chapter. It's called How Do We Break the Cradle to Grave, Cradle to Prison Pipeline. We're feeding this system. And I think not enough people with voice are speaking up to the issue, nor are they getting off there, you know what, and doing anything about it. It's kind of, oh, there's a Saints game tonight? Oh, yeah, we'll talk about that tomorrow. <laughs> oh, we're going to the festival next week, right? While our culture is a lot of fun and people become a part of it, I mean, where else can you go to the country and find something so funky as this place here? All of them out there having a good damn time. How many of you think you're talking about pollution and the little kids that can't read? Really? Or the fact that these multinationals all those barges bring all that stuff. We make no money off of it. The 175,000 mile pipeline. And why are we the poorest state? They're not talking about that. It's not a part of the agenda in Louisiana. But we see among the poor people that are my age, Joe, because in the poor communities, young people leave. You go into St. James. Probably one out of every four houses is empty. You go to Colfax, same thing. Young people leave. There's no opportunity there. Is that how do we get 
people in the state to take on issues related to pollution. You would think there'd be a thousand people marching, finding lead. And who found it? A nine-year-old kid. Was it the health department? No. Right? Using a store-bought uh, kit. Yeah. Well, it leads us to where technology could take us.